Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Glad to have you here today. Um, Welcome to another episode of Pushing Boundaries. This is uh, Black Men's Health. And I'm your host, Sharif Rucker. And we have an expert with us today, Dr. Eves DeRosa. Yeah, so I'm a native uh, New Yorker from Brooklyn, to be specific. Brooklyn. Uh, Clinton Hill, to be specific. Okay. Um, and families from Haiti. That's uh, the French uh, name. The background's Haitian Creole. So uh, my journey has been uh, growing up in New York City, going to a high school called Brooklyn Tech, which uh, you know we're, we're very proud of uh, the alumni there. Um, then went on to Hofstra University uh, on Long Island. From there, I went to GW uh, for medical school, and I stayed there and did residency in emergency medicine, which is a uh, specialty unto itself. Mm. And from there, I came back uh, to New York, uh, worked at Bellevue, NYU, the VA system uh, down there in the lower Manhattan. And then uh, went to a hospital called St. Vincent's, which was uh, in the West Village area. And that closed. And uh, after that, I went to Kings County, which is a city hospital in, in Brooklyn. And then from there, I came to Lenox Hill as the chair of the department, and I've been here for eight years. And Lenox Hill is part of a larger organization called Northwell Health. We're the largest healthcare providers in New York State. So here we are. That's been my journey. Can you give us some context into the th- some of the things in your environment that uh, added to your grit, leaned into your perseverance, and helped you overcome to become the person you are today? Talk about health disparities, and then we're about to talk about health. You know, the story starts there, right? So I was born in a hospital com- called Cumberland Hospital. And I-, I remember giving a talk once way back, and I don't remember the statistics exactly, but I looked at life expectancy for black male born in that zip code at that time. And it was, I don't even think it was 60, Ooh. meaning, you know, I probably have less than a decade right? Um, meaning that that environment at that time, um, you know, growing up, so you're asking me, you know, we got, went through the crack epidemic. Well, first of all, New York was bankrupt in the 70s. Then you have the, the crack epidemic. Then you have HIV. Right. You have gun violence, right? So, all, you know, so that's a very interesting question because all of those things play into, you know, your life expectancy. Right, because there are so many hazards along the way uh, that could really derail your your life in in terms of your health, in terms of your prospect for jobs, in terms of the environment in which you live. And those all play into your health. So, um, you know, fortunate for me and and, and many others, um, we found some opportunities along the way. We had some good uh, support, some good mentorship and we have found uh, our way, but we're, we tend to be the exception uh, to the rule. So the question is, how do we help those who weren't as fortunate, had the right mentorship, and, and maybe got some luck along the way also? 
Standing in your success, you have learned valuable lessons and practices of those who are successful. What can you share with the people or with those behind you? I think um, now that I'm raising kids, I, I see the importance of, of keeping them engaged um, always, right? And um, keeping them from being distracted, distracted by things that may negatively impact them. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, my father uh, was uh, an educator uh, and he always kept me focused on mostly math, um, math and, and reading. I enjoyed reading. And uh, it was that, that focus um, that, you know, you have the potential uh, to be great, whatever you want to do, uh, but you have to have a focus. And then also instilling um, in me early on um, a concept of, of grit as best as I could ex- explain it. Mm. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell said it very well. He found that students who did well in math tended to, to do well in a lot of other things because what math is, is you realize there's a solution, but the kids who give up early on trying to find that solution tend to give up early on a lot of things. Right. And so for me, I would sit with a math problem for you know 30 minutes, 40 minutes, trying to figure it out. And that has become the kind of analogy of, of my life. Mm. Everything I do is about grit. Running two marathons, when, you know, as an adult running where I didn't as a child, you know, that's putting one mile in, then two, then three, then four. Uh, and, and that's just the way, you know, my life, uh, that's what's been instilled in me. And that, that has helped me to become, uh, to be successful. So, you know, I, I firmly believe if I didn't have a passion for medicine, I, I could have done almost anything. If you have those basic fundamental uh, drive and that you are able to, you know, get rid of all the negative things that come at you and you have a focus, you know, it's, 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 it's limitless, endless, uh, what you could accomplish. Awesome. Thank you. So let's, let's get to some, uh, statistics. Um, so in my research, I found that, uh, black males have the lowest life expectancy expectancy and highest death rate compared to many women of other racial and ethnic groups. That's number one, the big three for black men in terms of danger, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. Um, and then the 10 leading causes of death for men of color, it's uh, one heart disease at 23.7%, um, cancer, 20.2%, uh, unintentional injuries, 7.9%, homicide, 5%, stroke, 4.9%, diabetes, 4.3%, chronic lower respiratory disease, 3.2%, kidney disease, 2.6%, septicemia, hypertension, 1.6%. But not to mention black males ages from one to 19 accounted for 35.3% of all all homicides. Um, And also dying from HIV, one in 20 versus one in 32 of other ethnic groups and a lifetime risk of HIV. Or if uh, engaged in having sex with uh, men, uh, one in in two times uh, at risk for HIV. Um, and then, and then, lastly, you know, um, something that struck me was uh, Dr. Faluso for 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 I think it's for Coriday for Coriday. Um, he says that in August twenty first, uh, twenty twenty, Men's Health Mag- Magazine, he speaks about sugar being the new tobacco. Um, and I know, um, you know, that's really an issue for us because of the fast food, you know, like I see the uh, your, your local um, uh, uh, what, is, what is it? The, uh, what do they call it? Uh, 
bodegas, your local bodegas, right? And your Chinese food is filled with sugar and the staples that they offer you. Um, but also culturally, you know, speaking the way we live, you know, in terms of our natural foods, our cultural foods, and you spoke about it. So there's two things here. There's, there's, the, there's our diet. And then you spoke about, you know, the risk and the stress that we have to live through in, in trying to survive to be um, successful black men. And so there are, there are two pieces here um, that we probably, that's probably gonna guide us in, in many of our questions here. Um, you talked about some of the, uh, the reasons for healthcare disparities being um, besides diet, racial discrimination, high rates of incarceration, unemployment, affordable health services, poor health education, cultural barriers, and poverty. And your experience, listening to your experience, um, you've had experience in both private and public uh, high, uh, hospitals. You've also experienced um, all levels of, of people in economic social backgrounds in terms of their experiences with healthcare. And I'm sure you've experienced it yourself as a black man and, um, in healthcare. And so I guess we should get into our first question. You know, as a black doctor, just in just doing your job, what kinds of biases do you experience in doing your job? And then we'll start to unfold some of the statistics. Yeah, so, you know, for me, to be honest, I haven't um, dealt with any overt uh, uh, biases. Um, they, they tend to be very subtle. Mm. Um, and sometimes they, they actually could be uh, unintentional uh, where, where people don't realize uh, the differences um, in, in, in what they're saying for one group versus uh, another group. So I, I, you know, I give the example, you know, um, not to deflect for myself, but, you know, to look at the patients and, and how, how we communicate, right? So a sickle cell disease is a disease that I'm very passionate about. It uh, impacts uh, mostly, um, you know, African-Americans. Um, there is a environmental reason genetically why sickle cell developed in Africa there's some protection against malaria. Mm. But however, um, when you get, and that's only when you get one of the bad genes, let's call it, when you get both and you get full-blown sickle cell, uh, it impacts your life in, in, in terrible ways. Uh, talk about life expectancy. Uh, while we've made some improvements, uh, you know, people are not, tend not to live past their 60s with, with sickle cell disease. Now, I bring sickle cell disease up because uh, they tend to be high utilizers, a small, small segment of the population where their pain, pain is a big issue with sickle cell. Their pain can't be managed. And they come to the emergency departments and often they're not treated in the same fashion uh, as other patients with similar maybe pain for kidney stone. There are studies that show someone comes in with kidney stone pain, which is horrible. Hmm. Uh, they're treated much faster. Uh, they're, they're given the pain medication much faster. Versus the sickle cell patients and studies have shown that are, are found to be, you know, difficult, challenging, pain-seeking, you know, they get labeled. And, you know, I tell folks, you know, that, and then, and then the, and it can be black male, black female, they get frustrated they lash out, they're human beings, right? At the end of the day, all they want is relief of their pain. They want someone to show empathy. They want competent care. So, but they don't have 
uh, folks to advocate for them. And so they have to advocate for themselves and how they best know it. Uh, they may curse, they may become angry, they may throw things. And then, all, you know, then again, they're labeled. So I give the example, I work in the Upper East Side. Uh, there are people who have access, right? If there's someone in my emergency department uh, and that person is not happy, and they didn't get timely care, they're in pain, well, what do they do? Do they start cursing? Do they start throwing things? No. They pick up the phone. They call the CEO of the hospital. And before you know it, I get a call. Like, Eve, what the hell's going on in your emergency department? Such and such says no one's taking care of them. And all of a sudden, everybody descends on that patient. We fluff their pillows. We bring them coffee. We, you know, but two human beings, both suffering, but with different levels of access. And then the care becomes different immediately. And, and that's the story of the world right now, right? Or, or these disparities, <clears throat> not just in health, but in access, socioeconomics, all of those things. But all of these things, when you put them together, they have an impact on, on, our, on health. Is, right? it, is, it, is it possible, I mean, you know, in a utopian society, is it possible for everyone to be able to pick up the phone and change the services? Is that, is that and, and is it reasonable for yeah. everyone to be able to pick up the phone and get that service? Or is it, or should it be normalized in terms of the quality of services for all patients? Which exactly. Is, you know, yeah. seems a little more reasonable than, you know, the ups yes. and downs of. Yeah. You know. So Sheree, if you, you're talking like a reasonable uh, person with reasonable <laughs> expectations, <laughs> but the world unfortunately doesn't work that way. And, and I tell these stories, you know, because they're extremes. Now there's a lot in between mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> to your point. And we would like some normalization of this, right? We would like people and everyone to have access to healthcare in a timely, reasonable fashion uh, to get the best care, the best at the right time, at the right place. Uh, that's what we aspire for, for, for everyone. Um, but the reality is that there's, there's a big gap. Um, now that gap uh, amongst Blacks uh, sometimes uh, becomes less wide based on your socioeconomics. Um, so it's not always just a racial issue. It's, you know, do you, to begin with, do you have insurance? Unfortunately, even still there, insurance, um, socioeconomics, black men are 50% less likely to access healthcare. Even the ones that are card carrying insurance members. So there's still, even at that level, some issues that we have to address. Mm. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, I mean, um, from for personally, I, I know that, you know, my parents took a vested interest in my health care up until a certain point. So that mm -hmm. being 19. And then mm -hmm. from that, whether it was college or for some, you know, work or whatever it was, that was uh, handed over to you as the individual to take that up with no training, mm -hmm. though, no advice, mm -hmm. no um, pushing to, you know, take care of your health. That wasn't part of the conversation, right? And so a lot of us um, stopped doing it, right? Or didn't keep continue to do so. And we stopped visiting doctors and we stopped getting checkups and, and all those things. That, and it didn't become a, a major component of our lives, yes. right? And so how do we 
then what kind of habits do we need to create to change those behaviors? And so that we begin to then manage our, our healthcare from 19 on and up. Very good question, Sharif. And uh, so same thing with the sickle cell patients. You know, everyone loves children. Um, everyone has uh, a passion for children. <clears throat> you know, this goes, you know, people talk about government interfering and too much, but you know, those visits are compulsory for you as a child, right? Because there are certain vaccinations that you need to get and you're not gonna be able to get to school. You're not gonna be able to, you know, get job in certain places if you don't have those minimal vaccinations. And, and, and there's insurance, you know, a, a little bit more focus on insurance for, for children uh, in most states. Uh, and then so, uh, you know, it, it happens. But at that age, that cutoff, part of the issue is then insurance, right? You're, you're no longer qualified. And part of Obamacare uh, was that they extended the period for which your parents' health insurance could cover you up until the age of 24, right? All right. Before that, um, you know, it was up to 19. And so that's why part of the problem started. So that's number one. Mm. Number two, it then becomes a, a, a question of, well, why do I need to see a, a doctor? I'm, I'm at the prime of my life. I'm 19. I'm looking hot. I got my skinny jeans on. You know, life is good. Like, what, what, what do I need to go to a doctor for so he could stick a finger in my, you know, or whatever perceptions right. we have, right. stick a finger in my bottom. Right. You know, I, I don't need that in my life. You know, things are good. And so, so there's part of that. There's this, this I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm invincible. Um, and, and no one has given me a good reason uh, that I'm going to spend uh, time uh, with a doctor. And then number three, uh, if I do want to see a doctor, who the hell am I going to go see? Like, I, you know, where do I go? How do I do this? That's right. Um, so so I, I think those are the three major uh, kind of uh, barriers. Um, so then what happens, unfortunately, is the only access to healthcare happens in that age group when there's an emergency, mm. some crisis, you, you either injure yourself or some unexpected medical thing uh, comes up. Uh, be it diabetes, be it some kind of cancer, um, and 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 that's an unfortunate way to you know have a first time introduction to healthcare. So not, not only that, but I mean, let's talk about the financial uh, oh, yes. that comes with the emergency rooms. You know, yes. you enter yes. that without insurance or preparation. Yes, for entering or engaging medical services, the emergency. Yes. yes. So yes. Yeah, so so that's a very good point. So since we outlined those things, insurance being one of them. Um, you know, we are very fortunate. Um, one of the great legacies of Obama has been Obamacare. Um, and it's become a little easier. I'm not gonna say easy, easier to find some resources in terms of what we call the health exchange. So you could go on cms.org uh, or you could Google. Uh, a lot of information is available in terms of getting um, health insurance. Uh, if you have a job, um, you know, you should seek jobs that will give you uh, medical insurance. Some jobs would prefer uh, to give you a part-time status or per diem status so that they don't have to cover your health care. So that's one of the things, don't just look at the dollars that they're paying you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of value in health care. So if you have options in terms of jobs, and one maybe, let's say, pays $30 an hour, 
and another pays $25 an hour, but the $25 an hour that gives you health insurance, that health insurance is way, worth much more than that $5 an hour. Um, but someone has to tell a young person that, right? Um, and, and, and mentor them through that. Um, and so to your point, you know, the insurance is what's gonna allow you to have access and it's gonna cover you um, if you have some major expenses that have to, to happen. Uh, otherwise, healthcare can bankrupt you very quickly. Very quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I would say, you know, we have to, you know, educate and get to that level at that age um, that, you know, you should get health insurance. And if you're, if you're, depending on what state you live in, if you don't meet a certain threshold in terms of um, income, uh, you're eligible for Medicaid. And Medicaid is actually a good health insurance. It provides you uh, with everything you need in terms of preventative uh, care uh, and, and, and access. Now the access may not be um, as great as we would like uh, to find primary care, et cetera, but it's a good start. Um, and if you have Medicaid, you can enroll in a managed care plan, uh, which even gives you more uh, options but someone has to help you shepherd through that. You know, that your average black male 19 year old has not had the opportunity to have this conversation. Mm. Uh, some people are working on trying to get the message out through social media. Uh, some people are going to where these males are, uh, be it, uh, you know, the barbershop that seems to be the really popular one, um, to the churches. And quite frankly, we, you know, we start going to the schools and we should have employers uh, be compelled uh, to really push that. The greatest, the majority of people who have insurance in this country is through employment. Mm. Uh, that's just the way health insurance has evolved in the United States of America since World War II. That mechanism was put in place as a way to get people back to work after the World War II. And so they added this added benefit of, of health insurance and our healthcare has evolved that way. But again, back, back to us, if we're at currently, you know, young black male, maybe over 10% unemployment uh, as we speak, well then, you know, his chances of getting health insurance are, are diminished by that much. Mm. So, so I, I think that health insurance is, is a big piece of, of the puzzle. In terms of the, okay, yeah, okay, continue. Exactly, exactly what I was gonna say. So then the next issue is, okay, I got my insurance card. Now, how do I get access a primary care doctor? Now your primary care doctor is the doctor who is supposed to be in charge of you holistically, mm -hmm. is the quarterback, is mm -hmm. the one to just make sure that, you know, all the key milestones you're supposed to be meeting are being met in a timely fashion. And they're the ones who are supposed to identify if there's an issue to get you to a specialist. Now, I, I would say in thinking about this, um, what's the best way to access? Women, it tends to be, black women and women in general, uh, tend to engage with healthcare uh, in a more meaningful way than males do across uh, racial uh, groups. Uh, and so if there's a woman in your life, be it your mom, your sister, a girlfriend, wife, I would start with them because they tend to know doctors or have access to doctors. 
They're really pretty regular about seeing their GYN and their GYNs are pretty good about making sure that they have primary care doctors. So they, they tend to know of someone. Now, that person may not necessarily be a, a black male physician. Good luck finding that. Uh, those are literally unicorns, right? So black males are less than 4% of uh, healthcare of, of doctors. So 96% of doctors are non-black males. Wow. Okay. So then, and then you cut us down into specialties, you know, we're going to be representative of, you know, orthopedics, emergency medicine. And so to find a black male primary care physician, it, it's part of 4%. Wow. So <laughs> you do the math, it becomes, uh, very difficult uh, to find. So what you want to do is find someone who's culturally sensitive. Um, and, and that person may come in different stripes. Uh, but that's part of the question. Well, you know, if that's your priority and you want to find a black male physician, go for it. If you don't, I would say the second piece is ask the person, well, do you feel comfortable? Uh, does, is that doctor seem comfortable with you? Do they have the empathy that you need? Do they recognize uh, and ask the appropriate, you know, culturally sensitive uh, questions? Are they, they aware of some of the challenges I may have vis-a-vis uh, -vis healthcare, vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, the social determinants, uh, those are things. And, you know, the good news is um, as a silver lining to COVID and the George Floyd, we've been through a lot, but on the other end of it, I see in healthcare a lot more conversation around these matters and a lot more recognition um, about health disparities and the need to, to, to change it in a meaningful way, in a more meaningful way than, than I've ever seen. Uh, I could tell you uh, when we actually interview physicians, no matter who they are, uh, we're asking those questions specifically about uh, diversity, about health disparities. We, we've never done that before. We're looking for candidates um, from you know diverse pools. So these are all encouraging things, and I think ultimately, and it's not going to change overnight, but we're we're trending in the right direction, and ultimately, I think it will uh, benefit um, our patients and specifically minorities and specifically uh, black males who are, you know, falling behind in a lot of the metrics you mentioned. So start with a, a, a female. Yeah. The second piece is um, your insurance. Uh, now that you have a card, hopefully you got your insurance. Uh, you could call the insurance company and say, I'm looking for X and X and Y location. Uh, and, you know, there's, they are motivated because uh, they should be aligned with you getting good health care uh, to help you. Because in a perverse way, if you have bad health care, they're going to end up paying more. So they have an incentive to keep you healthy. So your insurance could help you. And then online, you know, I've, I've come across um, uh, some, a lot of black not-for-profit organizations um, that are specifically, uh, I found one blackdoctor.org, which was a, a wonderful site. Um, they, they have a lot of resources. Uh, so, you know, take advantage of Google. Okay, all right. Uh, let's see. Um, that's very good because that answered several questions. Um, and I'm glad to hear that there, there is hope in terms of hiring and being intentional about that process and, mm -hmm. and understanding of candidates are open, you know, to struggle through that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
to mm-hmm. being culturally sensitive and, ex- and extending themselves beyond their, their own identities. And so that's great to hear. Um, in your opinion, how should black men's diet change with age? Very good question. So I'll take you on my, um, my own personal journey um, because you know, I have to, I can't, I, you, have to, you have to do what you preach, right? So first thing I had to understand is what are my risks? Um, my risks are, you know, two, two major components, genetic and environmental or the things I could do, right, uh, in my environment. So the first is um, my mother uh, has seven siblings. All eight of them have diabetes, mm. like across the board. Mm. Uh, type two, which is more of the adult onset, and there's type one that's the juvenile that's you know starts mostly in your youth. Um, so the type two tends to be a little bit more manageable, all right? So I was like, yeah, that, that was okay. I didn't think much about it. And then my half-brother, I have a half-brother, he's older than me. He's, uh, his mom, we have different moms, mm-hmm. same dad. But then he developed diabetes. Mm-hmm. And that exactly what I did, what you just did. I was like, mm. I'm in trouble. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? right? So I'm just like, and I, ha- I, I did regularly go to the to to the doctor every year, which we could talk about uh, for different age groups when when you should go to the doctor. But you know, luckily for me, I work in a healthcare organization, and they compel you to go every year. As a matter of fact, they give us incentives if we go to our doctor or dentist and get our vision check, they will give us a credit. Um, It's like 1400 bucks for the year for meeting those milestones. So again, I think employers have a a huge play in this. And and so do you think it's because they just, they love me so much and they love us that they do that? I I would think so. We're in healthcare. So I I don't want, I don't want to be cute, but think about it. They also have an interest in keeping me healthy and all the employees here healthy, right? They want us to show up. They they want us to be healthy. They want us to be able to see. Um, they want our teeth to be straight, uh, and and represent the company as best as we can, right? So, in a perverse way, you know, we're, we're our incentives are aligned. Right. So so that's a good thing. Um, so going to the doctor regularly, there's something called hemoglobin A1C, right? is you're checking your glucose and there's hemoglobin A1C. The hemoglobin A1C is how the glucose is attached to your red cells. It tells you how you've been doing for the past four to six weeks in terms of managing your sugar level. Mm. And every year I I started trending it, it was going up by 0.1 decimal point. And then one year I looked at the report and the doctor didn't even say anything to me. It was like, I was in that borderline People have heard of that borderline risk for then developing diabetes. Mm. So that was a uh, that was maybe about a decade ago, ten years ago, and I was like, so I was in my you know early forties, and I was like, wow, I got to do something about this. So started thinking about, um, and I've always exercised throughout my life, so um, so that was a plus, but 
really what it came down to was the food. Mm. Okay. And I had to make adjustments to my diet. The first thing I did was cut out sugar from drinks. So I, and I, I didn't drink much soda, but I would drink, you know, Coke here and there with certain meals. I definitely uh, drank cranberry juice. Uh, it was just my juice of choice, um, full of sugar. And mm. I never really thought about sugar and content of sugar. Um, and so started educating myself about that. And I think you mentioned something about sugar early on. Yes. Um, it, it is truly a, a, a killer. It is truly a problem in the United States of America. Um, and so I, I cut that out, um, kept with the exercising. And then the next thing that's not, we don't recognize as sugar, but is sugar, are um, carbohydrates, starch. Mm. So bread, um, bagel I used to have for breakfast, bread, pizza, anything with bread is pretty much sugar. Ooh. It, that cool. is just the sugar. Uh, a bowl of rice, you, you, uh, it, that, that's, that's, that's a apple tart. That's, that's a dessert, whatever you want. That's a chocolate cake. A bowl, bowl of, of sugar. Wow. A bowl of rice, that, that's a chocolate cake. It might as well be. Wow. Right? And, um, and I think I've shared with you in the past uh, that plantain, my family's from Haiti, as mentioned, plantain, I mean, you, you can't have a Haitian meal without plantains. Ooh. That's sugar. All right. Look up how many carbs are in one uh, plantain. So those things, I, I pretty much for six months cut them out totally. Wow. And uh, was exercising, probably exercising not significantly differently than uh, than I was. Probably a little bit more engaged, but to be honest, I, I've always exercised three, four times a week. Um, you know, ran marathons before then. I lost 25 pounds in a like eight to nine month period. Wow. And, and to me, that was like, and I never considered myself like uh, obese, overweight. Um, and by the way, we do have a black male epidemic problem in terms of obesity. 40% of us are considered and would be considered by all metrics obese. That's a problem. Um, but the, that adjustment, my point is, it's not just exercising. You can go pump all the weights you want. You can run as much as you want. The way I try to tell people is, how long would it take you to sit down to put 300, 400, 500 calories in your body? You could do that in 10, 20 minutes, mm. right? How long would it take you to work that out in the gym? You can't burn that amount of calories in 20, 30 minutes. Mm -mm. So the point is you could put those calories in you much faster it's going to take you a lot of effort to get rid of them. So the trick, you know, the trick to this is to really cut down on that intake because you'll never be able to um, burn it off. Listen, you know, you know, I'm, and I'm struggling with this myself personally. So this morning I had a slice of toast with peanut butter and two other slices of toast with avocado spread on. Um, you know, that, that was, and then that, you know, I had cherries and I had uh, blackberries 
and um, uh, CMOS. So, you know, but the bread, you know, you said the bread is an issue and that's, that's yeah. because I don't, I, I don't know what to, what, what's the substitute for the bread? Because I, I feel like I need to have some sort of carb in my food, especially with, I mean, what, what am I going to eat the avocado with, right? Or the peanut butter with, yes. <laughs> the, yes. the, you know, and, and, and that for me, you know, um, weight is not an issue and I don't want to lose any weight. Mm-hmm. So that's like, oh, yes, you know, <laughs> yeah. So um, let me try to tackle this. I, I, you have to be realistic. One of the things that a very basic thing you could look at is what they call servings, serving size. So it's there. What you described is probably one, maybe two servings of, of bread, which is fine. The problem is. Uh, I, I, so again, I, I don't want you to get the, the wrong message. I, I do eat, you know, I did that for six months, but then I reintroduced carbs and you got to learn your body. Okay. You know, some of us have better tolerance and, and metabolism for certain things. And some of us, you know, your body, you, you, you know, in a week you can gain like <laughs> some people five, 10 pounds. Um, but what, what, what you're describing is I don't think a problem. It, you know, trying to save within those serving sizes. A lot of us ignore the serving. Like, you know, you buy a bag of chips, uh, it's, it might say seven to eight servings. I don't know, I'm putting a, a number out there. But what are we gonna do? Are we gonna have a seventh or eighth of that bag of chips? No, you eat the whole, you eat the whole bag. Right. It's, so, so that's where the problem is. So I try to give people simple ways to kind of think about things and modify. I, 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 you know, if that brings you joy and happiness, which food does, um, it's all about moderation and understanding uh, what the limitations are. Um, and then, so I, and, and what you're going to is is habits, right? You got to have good habits and there's a discipline. So I have three choices of um, things for breakfast. Uh, this morning it was a yogurt. Uh, sometimes it's an oatmeal which has carbs, but good. it helps with the cholesterol. Uh, and the third option, go-to option is acai bowl, uh, which acai is, is good, antioxidants, low in sugar. And then you add things, so you gotta be careful what you add to it. But I tend to put, I put chocolate, dark chocolate in it, uh, which is good. Um, I do some granola, because you know to your point, you do need to, but within the right servings and then other fruits. Um, you know, that, that you just, you just throw in there, uh, coconut flakes, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, taste. Cause you, you got, you got to enjoy food. The idea is that that's the biggest, uh, pleasure we find in life. Right. Um, and one of them, so it, it has to be enjoyable. So you got to customize it to, to what you want, you know, go for the things you like, keep to the servings and go colorful. Right. So that's another thing I tell people go colorful. You want green, yellow, red in your life. And think about those things that have those colors um, and, and, and the fruits. Um, and, and that's a healthy way to approach it. But the, the carbs, the, the plantains, the potatoes, the pasta, that has to be, it can't be a major component of your diet. Mm. And, and, and even those, we tend not to stay within the serving recommended portions all right so i will have uh plantains probably once every two weeks 
uh, but I don't I don't eat a whole plantain. If it's now, it's maybe a quarter or half a plantain um, in whatever preparation. The other thing is uh, we have a misunderstanding of fats, right? So uh, fat is is actually okay. Um, your your body will metabolize that in a much better way than it actually does the carbs. Um, but you know the oils that you use and, and what kind of fat. So there's some good fats. There's the fish that has some good fats. There are nuts that have some good fat. Um, and then the cut of meat, if you eat meat. So a lot of this um, is also cultural, right? How did we come to love the things that we love? It goes back to a legacy of necessarily maybe slavery, right? right. So who got the best cut of the cow? The, the richest person, right? That, that's just the way it goes. Right. And what did the slave uh, or the, the people who worked the land get? Not the necessarily the best pieces, right? So the cow tail, we love it, right? right. Um, and we all prepared a little, see, it made you smile, man. And I just made you <laughs> smile. You're just thinking about that oxtail. <laughs> it just, that's right. <laughs> that's in our culture. It makes us happy. Right. It makes us happy to know that we're going to have that Sunday dinner. We're going to have that oxtail. Insert whatever you want, but part of that is legacy. And it's not the healthiest part of uh, that animal. Mm. Um, it's the fattiest. It has less of the lean protein that you actually want uh, from meat. And so we have to understand that and we have to recognize that and maybe start to, you know, maybe we can prepare the food the same way, but use the healthier parts of the leaner meats. And then what do we cook it in, right? Go, go look at a vat of the uh, saucepan after that oxtail is cooked. Right. And think of that inside your arteries. Mm. It's not good, right? Mm. So the oils that we use. So you want to stay away from, you know, saturated fats. You, you got to learn that. You, you got to learn. You got to do a little bit of your own research. You know, what are the healthier oils uh, to cook in um, in terms of, you know, your choices? And there are a lot of good choices here. And I think you're talking about the, the local uh, bodegas. You know, even within, in the hood, it's gentrification, good or bad, but with that comes some some healthier choices. Not from everyone, there's still pockets in, in New York that are still uh, what we would call food deserts. Um, so, you know, you may have to make an extra effort. Um, Medicaid, if you have, you know, if, if you live on food stamps, which I did for a part of my life, um, you know, a lot of these stores are now taking them. Um, and, you know, the city uh, government agencies recognize that, you know, we have to give people options uh, across the board of the different foods. Is it, is but, it reasonable for me to go into a bodega and get quality food? No. Okay. I mean, look, you know, bodegas are, that's not the emphasis. Um, you know, you may find some hipster, more, you know, modernized bodegas. I see them once in a while, I'm like, oh, it's not a bodega. Dude. But um, so you have to do this with intent. You know, we keep talking about intent for, for other things. We, we have to educate ourselves and we have to do things with intent. The bodegas, they, you know, they stock canned goods, 
they don't have fresh fruit. They don't have the space. They're not set up for that. That's a convenience play. Uh, and that's a, actually economically probably not a good choice also because they, they're going to tend to charge you much more than you would if you went to a supermarket or a large, um, you know, whatever. I'm not here to promote any big chain stores, uh, but you can get stuff for cheaper. <clears throat> but the bodega is all about convenience. And, you know, unfortunately, it ties into everything we were talking about, right? So if you're one of those folks that has two or three jobs and you coming home at midnight and you got to be back up at five o'clock in the morning and you need something to eat, you know, you're working on weekends, you don't have time for grocery shopping. There's a reason that bodega is there, you know, because there's a market for that. Um, and, um, you know, so there's all, there's all this interplay into things. Yeah. So what, I mean, so I got, I'm going to wrap the two questions here. Um, what kinds of physical and visual inspections can black men do to monitor their bodies against health risk? So physically, if I look in the mirror or I'm in the shower, what can I do to, to give myself an inspection and just, you know, like a clue that maybe I need to go to the doctor or not? And then the other thing is um, what's happening with me in terms of checkups during my 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s? Okay. So let me take that one, the visual one, because that's a very good question. Um, I would say for a male, one of the things that's not spoken about um, and I don't even think, I, I never even had a doctor ask me about that or even do this, is a testicular exam. Uh, between the ages of 15, 35 to 40, uh, males are at the highest risk of developing testicular cancer. Mm. Now, this is not spoken about often because testicular cancer is probably 1% of, of, of cancer. So it's rare, uh, but it, it, it happens. And you know, and we've we've come a long ways in terms of treatment. Most men survive uh, testicular cancer, so maybe that's part of why it's not spoken about a lot. But I remember in my training, you know, as uh, when I did my primary care rotations, a very good doctor was like, you know, this is an important aspect. So in terms of inspection, once a month in the shower, it's best in the shower when the the, the scrotum sac is is looser to get a sense of what your testicle feels like on a normal basis. Really, there should be nothing firm there. Everything should be kind of spongy and rubbery. And if you ever feel something firm, a nodule that's firm, or your scrotum uh, or your testicle even becomes more enlarged, feels heavier, fuller than it normally does, that's something that should get checked out right away. The only way to know that is to know what it normally feels like. All right. And men often don't, I'll be honest, they don't touch their testicles. They'll touch their penis for different reasons, but you could, you could figure that one out. Right. So, um, and, um, and, and sometimes the women, you know, the loved ones in their lives will might, 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 might pick that up. Hmm. So I would say that for, for male by far, in, in terms of you being able to pick up something, that's probably the most important one. Um, you know, sexually transmitted disease, you want to make sure, you know, look for any bumps, blisters, you know, herpes types two is a blister. It hurts. It's painful. That shouldn't be ignored. That should, you know, I think, you know, if you did nothing about it, yes, it'll go away. 
but you should see a doctor about it and, and make the diagnosis because you can go on and, and transmit it uh, to, to others. Um, I would also say something we don't talk about that can happen in our population is skin cancer. We often think about that uh, for white, fair skin, red hair, people are most sensitive to sunlight, uh, but we need to protect ourselves. I, on my face, I, I use a cream that has, you know, um, sunscreen just every day. Um, um, and when I go to the beach, you need to protect your skin. So, you know, if you ever see a lesion on your hand, that's not a good sign. If you have moles and some of us have black or mixed, you know, and, and we may have moles, you know, you want to look at those moles and make sure they're not raised, irregular, or change color. Uh, those are signs that uh, maybe they, they need to be get, uh, mm. looked into. Um, so those are the things, and that's a very good question. The other thing I would say that we often forget is our oral uh, hygiene, right? So inspection in your mouth for ulcers and, and lesions, uh, and then just dental care, your, your gums, you should inspect that they're not inflamed, they're not painful, uh, they're not bleeding, all right? So, so I think that's another component. Um, you know, don't ignore any, you know, kind of hearing changes or ringing in your ears. You want to get that. Your vision, that probably should be checked, um, you know, regularly. So that, that, that leads us into your next question about, okay, so when should we do these things? So... <clears throat> In general, look, if you're healthy uh, and now you've, you know, you've, you've understood your, your family history, remember I talked about my own journey, you know, talk to your parents. A lot of us in the black community, we don't have those conversations about health. We're very guarded. You know, our parents don't want to burden us. They don't want to tell us, but ask, you know, find out if they have diabetes, find out if they have high blood pressure, find out if there's an uncle who died at an early age that you may have never met, but did he die at early age of heart disease? Mm. Because that's that's your genes, right? And and so that you know you have to be very careful of that. So if you don't have any of those things and you don't have any chronic medical uh, issues, you know from the age of um, twenty to thirty nine or so, you probably could go to the doctor, you know, two times a year. I mean, two times. I'm sorry. I take I take that back. Every two years. Every two to three years. Okay, <clears throat> that's probably reasonable. That's the recommendation. <clears throat> um, you know, then they say after fifty every year, but then I would say once you get between forty and, and fifty for black males, I would say you need to go every year. Mm -hmm. This is part of my opinion, just trying to put the data together, because this is when I see and the statistics will tell you the greatest jump in terms of disparities of, of, of health. So I'll give you an example. Between the ages of 45 and 54, you know, uh, black men are most likely to die of stroke and diabetes three times higher proportion than white males. Wow. Cancer and heart disease, you mentioned before, will have a 50% uh, more chance of dying from those things. And that starts kind of like at that age of uh, 45, 65, 64. You know, we saw the unfortunate uh, death of Bismarck, uh, he, who suffered with, you know, diabetes. We know he, you know, we talk about obesity. It doesn't take much to, to know, you know, 
Uh, he was a big guy, um, you know, and, um, you, you know, I've, I've met him personally, met him a couple of times. Um, you know, he has, um, you know, there's a family member I know of his who's also in, in healthcare. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and we, we've seen uh, our other role models, you know, DMX, uh, there were a lot of health issues that he had also beyond, you know, people talked about the drugs, but there was the mental health, there was asthma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then we, we see these in, in, in a, at a younger age in, in, our, in our community. So I would say, you know, for black males, you know, once you start hitting your 40s, uh, you should probably see a doctor every year. You want to start watching. Um, and so what should you ask for, right? And, and these should be basic things uh, that occur. Uh, but, you know, you want to make sure your cholesterol gets checked. You want to make sure um, we talked about your sugar level. Um, you want to know what your BMI is, body mass index. You want to know what your weight is compared to your height, uh, where you should be. Uh, and you'll be shocked. There are some cultural things that we, you know, we say and I, and I hear it and I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, I'm just big bone. <laughs> or for women, she's, you know, she's... The brick house. She's brick house. I, I didn't, that, that, that goes way back. <laughs> I want to ask how old you are. <laughs> uh, or she's, you know, I had a, a female friend of me say, uh, you know, I want to be slim thick. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so again, some of these things are part cultural. You know, there is a, a tendency, and, and, and I'll, I'll take responsibility for my culture in Haiti, that the richer people are big. The men are big, and that's a sign of, prosperity that's a sign of abundance uh, that you're big and when you're skinny it's like hmm um you know doing drugs you got you might want to get checked out for some medical thing it's it's often a sign of you know and and we joke about it like you know crackheads and then and so we have these things and you know being slim or 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 even just being healthy and, and looking not like what we typically see ourselves as as being unhealthy and you know meaning other things um and we, we kind of have to change that mindset you know it, it's part of our you know in the rap culture and and and, and everything around us uh doesn't really promote uh a good sense of our bodies um in, in various perverse ways which i don't think helps us yeah, it's, so, it's more like our bodies, you know, there's a belief that our bodies, bodies are resilient and that we can do anything mm-hmm. to it rather than we have to be responsible for it and take care of it. But we, you know, we, the smoking and the hookers and the, the hookers and the, and the tobacco and the, the, the alcohol and just putting in, putting in, putting in and yeah. our bodies are just going to sustain yeah. itself. Yeah. And there's another one you, you, I don't know, I heard it, you said hookers, but it yeah. sounded like hookers. <laughs> so, let, but let's talk about that, right? So our sexual, um, you know, lifestyle, that's mm-hmm. important, right? And as a physician, you know, your doctor should be asking you, well, you know, do, do, do you engage in prostitution? I mean, do you sleep with prostitutes? Mm-hmm. That's not, we got to ask these questions. And sometimes doctors are reluctant to ask these questions. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But how many women do you sleep? Do you sleep with men? That puts you at another risk. And you mentioned that statistic, I think, in terms of HIV. One in two men who sleep with men, black men, have, you know, HIV. That's, 
and, and, and that's preventable because we've come a long way. There's a pill you could take every day um, that is relatively safe, very safe profile uh, that will cut that chance down significantly, like in the high 90s of, mm. of you getting HIV. So you got to have those conversations with men. And we know our black men uh, are reluctant and it, it's, it's improving, hopefully, but reluctant to talk about the fact that they, they may sleep with other men. Right. Um, so these are all conversations that, that play into our health that we have to have. So those conversations, hopefully, if you find the right doctor and they feel comfortable with you and they're culturally sensitive and they know that you as a black male may be reluctant to talk about these and could have the empathy and ask you open-ended questions to allow you uh, to talk about that, then you could start talking about, if you, if you can't get past that, then you can't talk about the steps you need to take to protect yourself. So it sounds um, like an essential part of finding a good doctor is that you can have a conversation. And yes. There is, a, there is a back and forth there. Exactly. Most people that go into a doctor's office and they say, tell me doctor, and give me the, give me the formula, give me the ingredients. And yep. there's little said between the patient and the doctor, they get the, the formula and they walk out. But there wasn't yeah. really any inquiry in terms of what is happening with you, who are you, you know, and maybe let's let's have a conversation about lifestyle and some of the things that we can just do to keep you safe. Yeah, because it goes back to the statistics you 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 go through it again, right? Gun violence. Do you have a gun at home? Do you feel threatened? You know. Um, those are conversations. That's part of your health. That's that's why black men are dying. That's one. It's on the list. Yeah. But you go to your doctor, you know, who's supposed to preserve and save your life and, and find ways. To, they don't talk about that, right? So, is there domestic violence in the house? You know, even if it's not guns, is there other stuff going on um, that maybe are tied into your mental health? Also, you know, are you bipolar? Hmm. You know, and that's why you're violent. Not because you're violent because you're a violent person, but because you have a mental health issue. Um, so look, how many doctors, to be honest, you know, we have to, we're also training our doctors um, to recognize these things and also to be better communicators. So I teach a course to doctors on how to be better communicators. It seems crazy that we'd have to do that, but we also as a healthcare, uh, providers, we need to learn how to better communicate with our patients. So there's three pillars to it. The first is kind of what you were talking about, that relationship, building that relationship with, with, with patients. I always try to find a commonality. I take a very lighthearted joke about things uh, to get that out of them, right? So if I walk in a room, you're wearing a Mets hat, I'm like, Sharif, man, I, I can't take care of you today. I mean, <laughs> and they'll laugh and I'm like, yeah. And they'll be like, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm like, this is not gonna work out. You know, doctors have to find those ways to talk to, you know, you know. Um, and then the, the third part, the second, the second part is assess and understand. You know, why is that person really there? Sometimes the patient comes in, they have something they're really concerned about. But if they don't feel that first piece happened, that relationship, and then, and then that doctor comes in hurried, right? They're asking you close-ended questions. Do you have this? Do you have that? They hope you say no so they can get the hell out of the room. Versus the right thing to do is tell me about X. Hmm. 
what are your concerns? You know, being a listener, asking open-ended questions to allow the patient to feel comfortable to really express themselves, sitting down, not seeing rushed. So that that's the kind of that's what you want to look for in your doctor. That's the kind of relationship you want. Mm. So finding a good doctor is like finding a good partner in your real life, right? You want those good qualities, right? You want that good communication. You want that bond. And then the third part is essentially if we get those two pieces, first two pieces right, we get that collaboration, right? You take recommendations from people you trust and you believe in them and you have a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. It's no different between your, your relationship with a doctor. So if we get those first two pieces right, where we built that relationship and we truly, I truly know you, I really assessed and understood what your concerns are, then whatever recommendations I make, you're most likely to follow. Mm. But if you, you walk out of there, you're like, hmm, I don't know about that guy. Therefore, or that gal, therefore, I'm not going to you know, take their advice. It's like your shady friend, right? He's good for a joke. He's good for a good time at the bar. That's right. You're not doing anything that guy tells you. Ah, oh, that COVID, hey, hey, real, man. You don't need to wear your mask. Right. Like, okay. All right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you right. know? Um, but then if you, you know, there's someone in your life that you trust, you have a relationship, you know, they have your interest at heart. Oh. When they make a recommendation, you're more likely to follow it. No different than your relationship with your doctor. All right, all right. So, Listen, you know. I, know you yeah. got, I don't know what your time is like, but I know you have other things to do. Um, you know, this has been great. We've got a lot of information here. Um, yeah. A lot of information. I'm going to make another plug. Uh, I started talking about sickle cell. Um, one of the things that you should know also is as, as uh, in our community, do you have sickle cell trait? Mm. And often your doctors don't screen you for that or ask for that. So that's when you want to look and know, because what happens if if you happen to get in a relationship with someone else who has sickle cell trait, a female, and you have a child, there's a 25% chance you're going to have someone, uh, a child with full-blown uh, sickle cell. Mm. So I would say that, that that's also very important in, in our community uh, to check into. Mm. Okay. Listen, I don't, I don't know if we've covered everything. I think we, we scratched the surface here, but I yeah. mean, we go so much deeper. Um, I mean, yes. you know, I think I think we may need another session sometime in the future because yes. I mean, it, this is is so deep, and we've we've kind of yes. so we've, we've covered it broadly. Yes, and and I think we can go even deeper. But I think you know, just just getting access. I think today we covered access, right? How do you get access, and how do you get yes. into get some sort sort of some sort of form of of health insurance to access, you know, services, right? Health services, and how do you begin to advocate? For yourself and also develop a relationship with your doctor so that you know you're in the right spot um is there a di- just my last question is there a difference between between um public and private hospitals and services yeah so um you know there 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 are differences um but depending on your insurance um you know that may play into but I've worked in both sectors um, and there are wonderful doctors um, in in both sectors. Uh, You just want to make sure that, I think the best places to go 
are the ones that have academic affiliation, meaning that they're teaching hospitals. Okay. That's where you'll find, um, you know, especially if you have, uh, I would say you need specialty care. If you, you have issues with diabetes, you know, real issues with, with, with high blood pressure that can't be really managed, you want to go to those places that have academic centers, specialists who are really good at, at, at these things. If you have a cancer, for sure. Um, but hopefully you don't need, um, the hospital is not what really matters. I think a lot of healthcare really more is in the community, is really more um, in the things that you do. You want to be preventative. You want to avoid or having to go to the hospital by all means. But if you do find yourself having to go to, you know, I would say look for those academic um, big centers, teaching hospitals. And, um, you know, I know there was a question about the ratings of the hospital. Um, there is a, what we call a CMS star ratings. Mm. And those ratings are based on a scale of, of five. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say Lenox Hill Hospital is a four out of five a star rated hospital. Um, we're, we're on, you know, the journey to get to five. What they look at for those ratings is mortality, you know, percentage of mortality. How, how good are they at preventing mortality? Safety in general, you know, in terms of medical errors. Readmissions, like meaning we took care of you for your surgery, but you ended up bouncing back because of a complication. That's not a good sign. Mm -hmm. They look at the patient experience. So what are patients saying about uh, that relationship with the doctor, that experience that they have? And then the last thing they look at is timely and effective care. So are there long waits uh, to you know, access uh, the hospital, the clinic? When you get there, are you waiting um, a long time? So those are the major components that go into those, those, those ratings. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Oh, there's standards. There's some rigorous <laughs> standards for us. Yes. And but they, these grades are not they're not public though. They're not they are. Oh, they Again, are. I mean all of this, this is from the government. This is a CMS. This is the Center for Medical Services. Okay, CMS. Okay. Yeah. Um, hospital four star rate, five star rating. If you are, you know, in our age group also, as you get in 40s, 50s, you have to take care of your loved ones. Some of the times they may have to end up in nursing homes. Uh, you know, they, they grade those nursing homes also. Um, so, yeah. Now that, that was, that was awesome. So, you know, for my guests out there, you know, CMS is something you want to look at, especially if you want to attach yourself with the hospital, look at that. Medically rated. And, and they also have information about what we, uh, insurance also. Awesome. About, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything that you want to offer to the guests? I mean, um, and especially our guests, black men. I yeah. Like yeah, I say, you know, we are in 2021. Things are not perfect. We're still struggling with a lot in terms of health disparities, in terms of biases. Uh, but we also were in 2021, we have access to a lot of information. So I think the first step is for us to take ownership of our ourselves you know, our, our, our bodies, protect ourselves, protect our loved ones. Um, and no one's gonna advocate for you more uh, than you. And, you know, we tend to be very stoic individuals, mm. but I would say pathologically stoic. 
to the point where we don't like to ask for help. We don't like to seek help. We don't like to feel vulnerable. Mm. Um, and that's something we, we're gonna have to heal ourselves of uh, because it actually becomes a detriment, becomes pathologic. It's good to be proud, it's good to be strong, but there are moments where, you know, we need to be vulnerable to get help. Part of the issue, I had a patient the other day, I looked at her records, you had lung cancer in three years ago and you had surgery. What's been your follow-up? No follow-up. Why? I'm scared. I said, you know, you survived this. You did well. What's going to happen if you say you're scared? Next time there's an issue, the issue may be too far down the line. Mm. And that's often what happens with us. Our bodies, we're like, ah, oh, this is nothing. I'm peeing a lot. I'm thirsty. Eh, nothing. A friend of mine, till he collapsed, that's when they did realize he had diabetes. Mm. Well, he's a construction worker. He works a lot. He's the breadwinner. He's like, I don't have time for this. But unfortunately, life forced him to make the time, but in a bad way where we could have prevented this earlier on. So. Wow. Doctor, just give your, your, your name, your title, and what you do and where you're coming from. One more time for our guests. Yes. So uh, Dr. Eve DeRoso. I am the chair of the emergency department at Lenox Hill Hospital, which is part of Northwell Health. I also um, am, am vice president. I have a vice president role in the organization. I am responsible for the emergency departments in our Western region. And I'm also um, assistant professor at Hofstra uh, Medical University, the Zucker Medical School. Isn't, isn't that a new uh, a new facility? They took away football for that, right? That's right. The Jets used to play that. So you know Hofstra, right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. uh, your that's wife no and I will, that's exactly. Um, and that med school is doing exceptionally well. Right and they talk about health disparities all the time. And we actually have a pipeline program mm. where we're trying to get uh, from the high schools we're starting. We, we got some kids from tech who'd spend a summer with us. And we're gonna, you know, get them into the right colleges, and then hopefully into med school, into residency, and then to become the doctors and and, and change, um, you know, this 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 abysmal statistics that we have in terms of uh, black male men in health. Listen, doctor, I just want to say I'm proud of you. I know our guests they're they're proud of you too, and uh, keep keep pushing and and keep bringing more in. And we do appreciate your work for this community. Thank you very much. One more thing: get your COVID vaccination. Yes. It's yes. safe. Yes. Take care, Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again, and stay tuned.